Hi, I'm Weird Al Yankovic, and you're listening to the Pantheon Network. Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band have been making music for over 45 years. His songs are stories about characters in the trenches of everyday life, trying to make a place for themselves and make sense of it all. His concerts are legendary, nearly religious experiences that routinely last over three hours. On today's episode of Prisoners of Rock and Roll, we're going to talk about how the boss went from being a small-time musician in the working-class short town of Asbury Park to one of the biggest rock and roll stars in the world with Born in the USA, an album that had seven top ten hits. So settle in for this heart-stomping, pants-dropping, house-rocking, earthquaking, booty-shaking, love-making, legendary episode of the Prisoners of Rock and Roll. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Prisoners of Rock and Roll, episode number 10. We are in double digits. Yo! I'm your host, Bruce Kramer, and I'm here with the illustrative, the imaginative, the insightful Doug McCusker and Ryan McCusker. Yo, yo! Howdy! Prisoners of Rock and Roll is sponsored by McCusker's Tavern in Philadelphia, and we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network. So tonight we are talking about Bruce Springsteen, and I am admittedly nervous as hell about doing this, because I am... An enormous Bruce Springsteen fan. Go figure. My name is Bruce. Bruce. And I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, as am I. I mean, I just don't want to overthink this. Just yeah. go with the flow and talk about the boss. Yeah, it's already a religious experience. The way that you introduce the show and <laughs> like the energy is here, just like a Springsteen show, high energy. And uh, let's bring it to everybody. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, like, he's out there listening. <laughs> I need to do right by him. Um, I also have to say for the record that this was not my suggestion no, to, this do, was, this, it to wasn't, do this episode. No, it was mine. It was in the works, though. And, and Ryan, you had the great idea that we're just going to talk about him up until Born in the USA. Yeah, you know, let's just talk up to a certain time. This is the most important years, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and we'd be here all night if we oh. cover everything else. And that's not to say he hasn't made fantastic no, music no, since no, that no, album. Yeah, but no. real quick on you know Bruce's albums, man. He's he's had Billboard magazine put out that list of 500 greatest albums of all time. He has eight of them. Yeah, um, of course he does. Really? Yeah, he's got 20 Grammys, two Golden Globes, an Academy Award, a Tony Award. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The band is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he has a Presidential Medal of Freedom. That is awesome. Yeah. yeah. He's definitely one of the most influential artists in the last 50 years. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you hear so much old music in his stuff, absolutely. like country yeah. and bluegrass and old, like the Ronettes and Darlene Love and all that kind Buddy of Holly stuff. Buddy Holly. Holly, Phil Spector. It's, it's all there. It runs deep. Yeah, absolutely. it really does. He is kind of a, a music historian absolutely some of the and his stuff love for he does, music so. like runs deep it's, yeah it's unreal so why don't we start at the beginning where bruce is from and uh how he was raised uh, he grew up in freehold new jersey which is a town probably about 15 minutes from where i live i don't live there because he grew up next door yeah but, yeah yeah, um, yeah sure. <laughs> like my story um it's it's just a working class 
New Jersey kind of town. You know, he was he was really close with his mom. He he had a really difficult relationship with his dad, which becomes a theme throughout his songs. And I'm sure we'll be talking about his dad a lot. Like millions of other people, he saw Elvis on TV and decided he wanted to play the guitar. It's kind of interesting. He said that he, as he started writing rock and roll, he really wanted to start making music where the singer sounds happy and sad at the same time. And he used yeah. um, the Drifters or Roy Orbison. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. I yeah. was going to say he had to use Roy Orbison. Yeah, and he was a big Roy Orbison. He even said in Born to Run, he wanted to sound like Roy oh, Orbison, yeah. but even he admits in, that nobody sounds like Roy Orbison. No, even in like Badlands, yeah, was like that background. That even, yeah. He even drops his name in uh, Thunder Road. Yeah, yeah, correct, right? Yeah, so, um, and Twist and Shout was the first rock and roll song he ever played, and if you go see him now, he, he, he plays it all closes yeah. out with that song because yeah. he said it was one of the first things he learned how to play. So. I, I think that's like super cool. Like you know, he keeps it to his roots and. Like okay, Bruce Springsteen is the roots, you know, to rock and roll. Definitely a big part yeah. of it. No, he stayed true to what rock and roll really is. Yeah, so then he is like any other kid, he starts playing in bands as a kid, and he winds up playing in all these other little Jersey Shore bands. And I won't run into the the network of how all the who was in oh, it and all this other all, stuff. <laughs> it's like. But they all yeah. like different pieces of the the E Street band are all in these bands. He was in the Castiles, Earth, Child, Steel Mill. Bruce Springsteen and the Friendly Enemies. I like the Dr. Zoom and the Sonic Boom. The Sundance Boom. Blues Band. Name. And it's in my notes. My favorite, Dr. Zoom and the Sonic Boom. That's a great name. I, I, uh, does anybody own that name for that band? I don't, I'm sure he does. <laughs> but a lot of the like a lot of the guys in the original E Street Band are like they show up throughout over that. And we'll get into some of those guys in the the second half of the show. But those those bands that he played in, he they were getting gigs. Like he opened for Chicago, like Turner, Sabbath. Roy Orbison, the band Child, he actually got invited to go play Woodstock. Wow. And he Did he really? They turned it down because they had a three-day residency, a little club in Asbury Park. It's actually the club where he huh. meets Clarence Clemens. Okay. Bill Graham actually heard them, real early band, and offered him a record contract. And Bruce turned it down because he didn't want to sign away his publishing rights. Smart and, man. And the ability to own his creativity becomes a big deal a little bit later. Oh, sure. Do you think like in the early days, Springsteen just started out, do you think that he realized that he had something special about him? Like that, like obviously like Clarence and a lot of people around him saw something special in him, but do you think that he see no. something special in him no. himself? No. He says to himself, he's like, I'm a phony. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He's like, the biggest thing that you have to know if you're going to be a rock star or okay, is that you're a big phony. Okay. He's like, I'm a little bit of Carney. I'm a little bit of Boardwalk and just a little bit of magic. And he always says like he he plays a character when he's on yeah, stage. That's like crazy. it's not him. <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. It's a person that he made up. There's like songs in here that he like sings about. He's like, yeah, I made that all up. I don't know even what that means. Well, that was in like uh, 10th Avenue Freeze Out. Yeah. He's like, like, I don't like, even know what that's about. He still has no idea. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so he's he's tooling around and he's in all these little bands and he's getting a, a following. And in '72, his manager Mike Appel scores an audition with the legendary John Hammond at Columbia Records. This is the dude who discovered Bob Dylan and Aretha Franklin. And they said that Bruce, like, he had no money. He took the bus to the audition. He didn't have a case in his guitar. He just walked in with a holding his acoustic guitar. <laughs> and Mike Appel was like the consummate salesman and told John Hammond that Bruce Springsteen was the musical second coming of Jesus. And he brought him in to John Hammond to see if his discovery of Bob Dylan was a fluke. And John Hammond said he immediately wanted to hate Springsteen before he even played a note because of Mike Appel. <laughs> but then the music blew him away. He played four songs in the office. Uh, John had him play a gig that night in Greenwich Village. And then he cut some demos the next day. 
Mike Appel also said he was John the Baptist talking about Bruce coming into the music world. And he called Springsteen a combination of Bob Dylan, Chuck Berry, and Shakespeare. Nice. I, yeah, that's great. That's a, that's, that's, a t- that's, that's a tall bill. That's great. But the hype, too, becomes a big part of the story a little bit later, right? I think we have some of the demos that yeah. he played, right? Yeah. I love Greetings from Asbury Park. And there's two demos that he did on that session to that made his album. And one of my favorites is, does the bus stop at 82nd Street? Yeah, let's play uh, 30 seconds of the demo version. It's a great version. Hey, bus driver, keep the change. Bless your children, give them names. Don't trust men who walk with canes. Drink this and in a week you'll have wings on your feet. Broadway Mary Joan Fontaine. Advertiser on the downtown train, Christmas crier busting came, he's in love. Man, it's he's such a great lyricist. You know, he was getting that whole oh, the next Bob Dylan. Yeah, man, there's so many words in your song. Yeah, just like Dylan. Like, yeah, you know, it's like word after word, you're pushing as many words as you can out, you know, at one time. And, and he, he, did he idolize Dylan? Oh, yeah, yeah, and you hear that. I mean, he's playing an acoustic guitar. I mean, he he auditioned by himself. He signed his contract as a solo artist. His manager was promoting him as the next Bob Dylan. But then when he went into the studio to record, he realized that he needed a band. Yeah. Well, well, he didn't need a band. He needed his, his band. band. Sure. And the story of Bruce and his band is a huge part of his success. So I guess that leads us up to the first album that we, you know, Greetings from Asbury Park. Yeah, Greetings is a great album. Um Blinded by the Light, Growing Up, my favorite song. I think it's my favorite Bruce Springsteen song all around is Lost in the Flood. It's a it's a really great song. Hard to Be a Saint in the City is my one of my favorite songs also. Spirit in the Night, that never gets old. The, the Spirit in the Night and Blinded by the Light originally weren't on that album. And um, Clive Davis heard the album and was like, this doesn't have a single on it. You got to go back and write another song. Wow. And he went back and wrote Blinded by the Light and Spirit of the Night. Those two songs Clarence Clemens is on, but he's not on any of the other ones because he mm. wasn't in the band yet. And yeah. we'll get to where he comes mm. in maybe the second half of the show. But immediately when that album comes out, people start comparing him to Bob Dylan. Sure. Well, I mean, how can you not? Can we play something else off of uh, Greetings? Absolutely. What do you want to hear? Right at the top. It's... um. It's hard to be a saint in the city. Let's get a sound of what greetings sound like. With my black jack and jacket and hair slick sweet. Silver star studs on my does like a Harley and heat. When I strut down the street, I could feel its heartbeat. Sisters fell back, said, don't that man look pretty. The cripple on the corner cried out, Nichols, for your pity. Them gasoline boys downtown sure talk gritty. It's so hard to be a saint in the city. Wow. It's, it still gets me every time I hear it. You know, it's 1973. This album comes out. You have to think of what's going on in 1973. There's like nothing. Everything's flat. Punk rock didn't start yet. You know, rock bands like Kiss and Cheap Trick mm. and ACDC didn't exist yet. Of course, they're going to compare him to Bob Dylan right off the bat because he sounds like him. Uh, maybe not his voice, but how, how he phrases things. And, you know, and honestly, and it's a great sound for like 73. Okay, you're coming out of the 60s. You know, all that hippie stuff and like, you know, the peace and love. Yeah. And then here comes this 
new new thing like definitely different definitely like some D- dylan influenced uh sound but it's just like just the title by itself greetings from asbury park like he's introducing himself yeah. to the world yeah nobody had even heard of asbury park until yeah. he he yeah. brought it to uh on his album cover and yeah. that that absolutely cements him sure. into that i mean that lifelong thing of him in the jersey shore oh, that, yeah. that first album so i know they they this it's just Bruce, it's titled bruce springsteen welcome to asbury park now is there anybody from the E Street Band playing oh, yeah. on the track? Oh, of course there yeah. is. Everybody except well, Clarence is in the last two songs. Yeah, you have um, Gary Talent playing on bass. You have Danny Federici playing the organ. It's most of them except Max and Roy Bitten. Yeah, they have a, on drums. They have a guy named Vinny Mad Dog Lopez, and he's awesome. And on keyboards, there was David Sanchez on keyboards and they were monsters they they were really great players and he's mad they call him mad dog because he was always getting in fights and he yeah we're drummers we yeah. always get in fights <laughs> he he gets kicked out of the band at one point because he there's rumors that he he got into a fight with clarence or he got in a fight with the That's manager what I heard. and i heard he called clarence the n-word yeah really I, i've heard that yeah. too and yeah. he's like you're out no, yeah. absolutely yeah yeah these first two albums that Bruce puts out with, they don't do well commercially. Like the critics love them, sure, but commercially they don't do well. The other thing about this that I thought was interesting was David Bowie went and saw Bruce in concert in his early era. And Ryan, I sent this to you. Yeah, you did send me this. Hey, I, you want to play a couple seconds? Of play it. it. No, yeah. it's great. David Bowie winds up covering "It's Hard to Be a Saint in the City." It's weird, man. That and is I, weird. I, and I don't know the story of what made Bowie want to cover that song. I don't know. It sounds like Rocky Horror Picture Show. It but does. I, it's, <laughs> it's like campy and the yeah. strings and it's really produced. And he sounds like he's really trying to do a Bruce Springsteen imitation. Yeah. Like I, I've never heard that before in my life. I give it a thumbs down. No, no doubt. No doubt. It's just like a bad impersonation of a Springsteen, I guess. That's the best way I could put it. At least he was on the map and Bowie like saw it yeah. off, off the, like, right away. He was like, this, there's something about this guy and, you know, maybe... Covering a song helped Springsteen sure. out a little bit. Did it know? do anything for Bowie? Did he have any success with know. it? Or I don't Bowie, know. Bowie's already successful in '73, yeah. yeah. right? Yeah. So it's yeah. like, is he give? Is that help Springsteen? I, I don't know. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, Bowie's huge, you know. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, it's, it was good either way. Yeah. I don't know if that was like officially released because that's a box set that that song. He might have did it like on so a TV that might have been like something that was like a B side or something. Yeah. That's a good cool. Point. It's cool though. It's cool to yeah. hear. I'm sure he's like real flattered. Yeah, no. I, I came across that after right after David Bowie passed away. So you want to move on a little later in 1973? Yeah, in 1973, he made two albums. And the second album he made in 1973 was The Wild, the Innocent, and The East Street Shuffle. So that album, he gets that name from an old Western movie. That comes up a lot, too. He pulls a ton of material from, like, the Thunder Road is the name of an old movie. Like, mm. he, he loves, like, Westerns and film noir. And I've read that today. Stuff like that. I read He's, that today. I was like, really? Like, wow, that's that's awesome. Like, I never would have guessed that. Picture like Springsteen going to like a five five cent movie theater like in the mid like midnight and double double feature yeah double feature and just can't stay in his house. I have a special connection with the Wild and the Innocent. I remember it was probably about nineteen eighty nine. It was Christmas and a friend of ours 
his father said, you guys like rock and roll. Let me get you some rock and roll tapes for Christmas. Oh, right. And um, he got me the got me this album, The Wild Innocent. Did he really? He got me this. He got you Damn this Torpedoes. Get, by Tom Petty. I was actually thinking about that, like right around Christmas. Like, yeah. We were doing like the, the other uh, the top six bands. But, we, you know, it was really cool to hear Springsteen at a real young. Like I knew who he was, but to hear like early Springsteen really was like a, a, an eye opener. It was the first time I heard Rosalita. You That's know, a great song. Let's hear a little bit of Rosalita. Yeah, sure. I just never heard rock and roll like that as a kid. Yeah. You know, it was, it was like, you know, something new to me. It was something that was vintage at the time, being a young guy and just hearing like Guns N' Roses and whatever to, to, to hear something like Rosalita. It's so like a diverse kind of song. And it's almost like two songs. Like it, it tells sure. that whole story and then it goes into the, he's talking about his girlfriend's parents don't like him. And then it goes, you know, that he knows a place where they can go dancing and yeah. it's got a whole nother sound to it. And it mm. has like a, like a Spanish sound to it. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's just crazy. He's got it, some great lyrics. In yeah. That song. Oh, no, absolutely. And it's just the diversity of his writing skills are just, you know, from Dylan to, to this, you know, it's, and he's also too, he's on this album, he's singing about E Street, you know, like the E Street shuffle. Like he's pulling you into this world that he's, he starts to create. And one of the things about this album too is the shortest song on this album is four and a half minutes long. You know, there's only one, two, three, four, five, six, like eight songs on this album. Rosalita's eight minutes or seven and a half minutes. There's another song that's 10 minutes long. It's just a sprawling all over the place album. It's a, you know, you hear different influences on that album with different songs. Bruce, earlier in the week, and you were talking about the E Street Shuffle, and you came across a song that influenced Bruce to make that song. Yeah. So this is a song called The Monkey Time by a guy named Major Lance, and the song was written by Curtis Mayfield. Let me play the first, like, 15 seconds of this, and then let me play the first, like, 15 seconds of the E Street Shuffle. Great song. It's, same, it's great. It's, it's the same, same thing. thing. It's the yeah. same yeah. thing. Great song. Really cool. That's that song just rocks, man. It's just yeah. funky. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, even with our headphones, just when on, that you guitar can comes the, in, that, yeah, you hear yeah, the bass. tight, yeah, tight yeah. clicking of the guitar strings. Really, really good cool. stuff, man. That's what makes Springsteen awesome. It's the little things, little small detail things. He's such a perfectionist, though. You know, he is. Oh, he, we'll get into that. Yeah. yeah, he's a maniac. This is also where you start seeing that some of the songs that don't make the cuts because we'll talk about this later but it, the amount of material that this man produces they said like for every song he writes 
that he puts on an album, there's 10 that he writes that never, never do. And there's a couple of these albums that he said, like, I think he was born in the USA. He wrote like 70 songs for. And one of the songs that he throws out is this song called The Fever. And let me play a little bit of it because there's kind of a cool story about this that ties back into Philadelphia. So he wrote that song. He decides not to release it. And Mike Appel goes and just starts taking cassette tapes and mailing it all over the United States without permission from the record <laughs> label. It became a hit in a bunch of cities. And in, here in Philadelphia, it was the most requested song on WMMR. No way. It was never released. Really? And it became huge. He didn't release it until 1999. <laughs> and instead of releasing it, he gave it to Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes, another Jersey Shore band that's really close in this whole story. And they kind of had a minor hit with it, but it became the most requested song in 1973 That's for a while on WMMR. Without just because the his guy his manager mailed it to the radio station. I wonder why Bruce got rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> Give him too um, much trouble. Well, so th- and that's where this this. Also, his management starts to change. So yeah. this album doesn't do well commercially no, either. No, it doesn't. It kind of sits on the shelf for a little while. You know, Rosalita is kind of a hit. Um, but, you know, he's starting a cult following. Um, his live shows are yes. becoming a staple. Uh, it's like a, every time he comes around, he's getting bigger and bigger. Do you think it was like one of those things, like it was kind of like a word of mouth kind of thing? Cause totally. Because you guys said like, oh, well, you know, it wasn't commercial. They didn't hear Rosalita. Like, I didn't know that. I thought that was like an instant hit because it's a classic song today. So from what my understanding is, is that you had to go? See, you have to go see this guy, Bruce Springsteen. You're, you're, you're never going to believe. Yeah, it. you got to go. You got to. Yeah. Go. yeah, it was a cult following Clive, kind of thing. Yeah. Clive Davis's book. He says that he was the one who told Bruce, like, you need to have more energy when you're playing. And I'm, I'm sorry, I don't believe that. No, I don't believe that. Don't believe you that don't even a just bit. go from like, oh, okay, no. cool. I'll yeah. take your advice, sir. Yeah. And then you're dumping on the table. I don't like to play Clive Davis to begin with. One person who does get the attention of all of his live shows is a music critic named John Landau, and John Landau goes and sees. Bruce perform in Boston, and he writes what is probably one of the most famous lines of music commentary ever. And it's also misquoted all the time. I think it's actually misquoted on Springsteen's actually website. (laughs) So I'll read the actual quote. I saw my rock and roll past flash before my eyes, and I saw something else. I saw rock and roll future, and its name is Bruce Springsteen. And on a night when I needed to feel young, he made me feel like I was hearing music for the first time. He continues a little later in the article. Springsteen does it all. He is a rock and roll punk, a Latin street poet, a ballet dancer, an actor, a joker, a bar band leader, hot shit rhythm guitar player, extraordinary singer, and a truly great rock and roll composer. He leads a band like he has been doing it forever. I racked my brains and I simply can't think of a white artist who does so many things superbly. It's true. Absolutely. That's that is true. Springsteen's career. And I'd never heard that whole second. I never era. heard that. I never heard. And that. I was like, he just nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. Like it. Yeah, when we started doing the research for this. I was like, let me go read the article that he wrote. That just sums up his whole career. Absolutely. Before perfect. he even like really started. Yeah, you know, he saw it. He saw the yeah. future. I thought John Landau actually saw Bruce more of what he was trying to go for. Like he saw his vision more than Mike Appel did. You know. Um Mike took him for a ride, though, you know, like he uh, contractually, creatively, yeah, really, really put the screws to him. And I was reading yeah. a little bit about 
Landau, they said he was in his 30s at the time and he had some kids at home. You know, like the pressures of life were just kind of starting to weigh to him. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to go out and just see this guy. And he went and saw Springsteen in concert and it blew him away. And I was like, that's me. That's how I feel when I see him in concert. It's such a connection. Now, did Landau have any management experience prior to that? He did. He produced the MC5's first studio album. Awesome. Very awesome. nice. Tying back to our punk awesome. album. Awesome. And he nice. wanted to get back into the game. So that's why he saw producing. Bruce. He knew Bruce was a punk rocker. Sure. Does that make sense to, to like the punk rock? Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the, um, the aggression. The, the, uh, cause you, like he dealt with the MC5 and we just talked about them in the last Lunatics. Episode. Yeah. Like, Lunatics. Like they, they just knocked people off the stage. They, people had to follow them. They couldn't. And he saw that in a spring scene, I guess. Yeah. Right. I think he, he, well, the MC5's first album was that live thing. Yeah. He tried to do their first studio album and he just – it didn't work. He yeah. Couldn't, yeah. You couldn't capture that. So, so he's, he's in another situation, yeah. right, where there's these – I didn't even think of this as we were, I was putting these notes together. Is another artist that has these legendary live performances and how do you harness that? And he he tries to do it in the next album, right? Absolutely. You yeah. want to move on to – Let's Born move to on to 1975. So it's been a year, almost two years, since he put out two albums at once in one year and now yeah. he's got a little bit of break. The record label, Columbia Records, is running out of patience with him because the first two albums didn't do very mm-hmm. well. They wanted to hit. The pressure was on and combine the pressure with a big budget and Springsteen, Doug, you were saying he's a perfectionist. You put all that mm-hmm. together – and it took him 14 months to record this <laughs> album after having two albums come out 10, 10 months apart. So at this time, he's already playing with the E Street Band. Yeah, they're all here now. Yeah, well, now you have the classic lineup. Now, from what I read earlier doing research for the show, is the first time the, the E Street Band played in its beginning stage was here in Philadelphia at the Tower Theater in 1974. Yeah, very cool. That. It was the first time Springsteen made $5,000. Playing one show. Very cool. And he did right here in Philadelphia. The whole band is on this album, but they're not all at the beginning. So somewhere through it, Dave Sanchez and uh, Boom Carter, the drummer, they leave. They want to go start a jazz mm. band. And they uh, Springsteen, they put an, an article in the Village Voice saying we're looking for a drummer and a keyboarder. And that's mm. where they get Roy Bitten and Max, and Max Weinberg. And uh, little Steven is in this too. He, yeah. You know, but he, he's not, he's not really, he's not a full member of the band yet. No, they, you know, they had to sell it to him a little bit more. He was, he was like, yeah, you're good, but I don't know if you're that good kid. Yeah. You know, he, he, he criticizes one of the, the arrangements on a song and Springsteen's like, well, dude, how about you, you do better. And he, right. and he did. So and I guess little, little Steven was kind of like already like established at that point. Yeah. Yeah. He was a front man of his own band, mm-hmm. you know, down um, the shore, down at Asbury Park. Sure. Um, or he was in a band that was the house band at the Stone Pony in Asbury Park. So he was part of the Southside Johnny and the the at the he was he just managed, that scene you know he performed with them he managed them he like played with everybody sure, down everybody. the shore yeah you know he yeah, was just one of those was. guys yeah but you could really hear him on that album he really brings a lot to it um, especially like songs like um, she's the one you can hear his voice in the background like. Totally. Other guys in the band, like Gary Talent, is such a great background bass part on Born to Run also. Each of these guys have moments on the album. Clarence, you know, when 10th Avenue frees out, he nails that, that solo in it, you know, and the piano by Roy Bitten on Thunder Road is is legendary. That's like in Jungle Land. It took Clarence 16 hours to record 
That, that one sack so That one sack so 16 hours. He only yeah. thought he was there for four hours. He was yeah. there for 16 and hours. And this is like a legendary recording session yeah. that Bruce just keeps pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And he said at some point the guys are in the band are like, I, I got to go home. And Bruce would be like, for what? And he's like, I, I have an infant at home, dude. I got to change. I got to yeah. feed my kid. I got to get some sleep. Nothing else mattered to Bruce except for making his music. Because the pressure was on. Yeah. And he, and he said he wanted to try to make the greatest rock and roll band they had a vision. of yeah. all time. And um, – John Landau's influence on this is really important too. So John and Bruce became friends after that that article, and Landau starts telling him, like getting in his ear, like he thinks that the production on those first two albums is really thin and not very good. And he's like, "And you guys are recording in kind of like a crappy studio." So he gets him to move to the record plant up in New York City, which is a way bigger place. Uh, legendary, oh, that's a legendary. Place. Yeah, and then he starts. He's hanging out, and he's giving Bruce advice on these sessions going like you got to go bigger with the production and you totally hear it man like the oh on this, this album this wall oh, yeah. of sound vibe and there's like all these instruments piled on and a clock and spiel and it just you know just these layers over yeah. you yeah yeah and that's landau in his ear telling him all this kind of stuff he did a great job telling him because it's layer after layer of, I, of magic but i think uh, bruce even said that he this is the first time they they ever did anything like that, and he he's ever done anything like that in a recording session where you just start layer things on top and top and top. There was a lot of there was a lot of outtakes. There's versions of songs that have like no piano in it. Mm-hmm. Like there's yeah. alternative alternative lyrics in some of the songs. It just like even in Jungle Land, mm. they took all those recordings that Clarence did and they cut them. And to make that solo, it's not like he came up with, with that solo. Right. They it's, cut it from like it's, best parts of out of those thirty times they did it. But just in that album, you could probably stretch that tape from here to California of how much tape they actually went through to oh, record yeah. that album. Springsteen, like you said, he was a perfectionist, and the his most famous words were in the studio was "Do it again." I saw in uh, one of these documentaries, I guess it was on HBO, and they're talking about the uh, recording of that album. And there's one thing that I always just remembered. Everybody's arguing about how the song could go. Steven's arguing with them and this and that. And everybody's arguing with each other. And he just stands up, puts his book on his arm. He's like, well, I really don't give a shit what all you guys think. It's going to be what I decide anyway. Yeah. He's the boss. Yep. It, you know, he, he puts this album out and it. It's one of the greatest albums of all time. Of all oh, time. absolutely. It's, it's fantastic. And everybody goes apeshit for yeah. it. Yeah. And that is where he winds up on the cover of Newsweek and Time within uh, a week of each other. Columbia Records realizes that this, well, maybe we should back up a little bit. You know, he, he is working so hard. They already had a tour booked to promote the album and they didn't have the album finished before the tour. And they, they famously worked like 72 hours straight. Left the studio, went downstairs, got in a van, and drove to Rhode Island to start the tour. Wow. And they left guys back to mix the album to finish it. And Jimmy Iovine finishes it, mixes it, and brings it out onto the road and plays a test of it to Bruce. And he hates it. And he throws it in the pool. And he's (laughs) like, this sucks. Well, I think when you're such an artist like Bruce is, the, the product's never done. And he knows that the pressure is on, that he's going to probably get dumped. And you know what? Just from recording myself, you hear something over and over and over and over again. It sounds repetitious. So you don't know if it sounds good or if it sounds bad anymore. Right. I mean, how many times do we record the same thing over and over on, the, on this? I know. And right? I, no, no. The, we, we don't edit. <laughs> we don't edit. I told you just before. And Columbia Records hears it, and then they put two hundred and fifty grand behind promoting it. 
And they they market the hell out of that John Landau statement. Oh yeah, and the album sure. goes top ten in a week, and said and he's on Newsweek and Time, and now he's he's huge. He's got the attention of the world. Yeah. Let's play something off Born to Run. Yeah. So what do you what do you want to hear? Do let's you wanna, hear at Tenth Avenue Freeze Out. Play Avenue. play something off of. Let's play the whole album. How do you just play one song? That's a great song. I mean, that just tells you the story of the East Street Band. If you right. listen to that, yeah, yeah, and that's the lyric, like "Bad Scooter," BS Bruce Springsteen. It's him meeting the band, how the band starts, yeah. and that's who was doing that then, writing songs about themselves again, pulling everybody into this world that he made. Well, I heard Springsteen say that that album is basically about friendship, about his friendships with his his friends, like you know, like in the band, like being a band, being together, and. um it really comes out in the music, you know, in his lyrics. The, the way that album was put together is um, each side of the album opens with a very hopeful song about escape, and the end is about a song about defeat. It's so song one opens with Thunder Road, and it closes with Backstreets. And side two opens with Born to Run, and it closes with Jungle Land. You know, I was telling you this week, um, I saw an interview with Bruce, and he said, you know, Born to Run is almost a concept album. He's like, all these songs are happening at once. I saw that interview after you, you mentioned You know, this. and it's he's like, like, it's all happening down the shore. Like one night. Like a summer night. Yeah. Like this whole album's like a yeah. summer night. And that, that turned the whole thing around for me. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Let me go back and listen to this album. And I did. I recently just heard that too. And it changed my whole perspective of the album. That album, it, it changed my life when I first heard Born to Run. And there, there are... Um, there's an interview with Clarence where he says people have come up to him and said, like, man, that sax solo on Jungle Land saved my life. Yeah, it saved sure. my life. And I, the day he passed away, I mean, we were, I was actually, we were at the bar. It on was, my it birthday. Was your, it was your guys, your birthday party. And one, I think it was Ryan, you got up on the, the PA yeah. and said that Clarence Clemens died. And son of a bitch, I was sat out on Chunk Street I, on the curb you, crying. And I went home and I listened to that sax solo. Over and over and Dude, over. Dude, I didn't realize over. how big of a Springsteen fan you were until I saw you sitting on the curb drunk t- crying about Clarence. And yeah. I was like I was like, Holy shit, Bruce is really you know Yeah, but that's it. I mean, just the emotion in that saxel and it's like he, I don't even want to play thirty seconds of it because you gotta play the whole thing. And no. it's just it's just so powerful. It's just it's awesome. That's like you guys are like really like hardcore Springsteen fans. I consider myself like a jukebox fan. You know, I I've said that to you guys before even coming into this episode. And just being a jukebox fan, like Thunder Road is easily probably my top five songs just because of the first verse, the first verse and the second verse of that song. With the second verse ends with, chill of faith, there's magic in the night. You ain't no beauty, but hey, you're all right. And that's all right with me. I love that verse. Yeah. Like it's one of the greatest verses in rock and roll, even probably when you talk like Joshua Orbison again. And I'm not even a huge fan. But that has to be one of my favorite lyrics in rock and roll. That that song, man, whenever I hear Thunder Road, I can see it. I sure. see the guy on the porch talking to the girl. I can I can hear the screen door sways. Yeah. I can see Mary's dress swaying. And yeah, then yeah. him with that saying, 
we're this is a town full of losers and we'll pull yeah. out of here to win. Like they, what a great they, song. He does they don't know the world is against him, but man, if we just get in the car and go, everything's gonna be all right. He's Shakespeare. You know, it he's is Shakespeare. a rock and yeah. roll Shakespeare. Part of the great thing too, like you guys were saying before. These songs have kind of morphed over the years, and so many people were bootlegging this stuff when he was recording everything. That you can go on YouTube, man, and this stuff is all oh, over the, all place. the place. Like, there's an original, the really, really early version of Thunder Road was originally called a song called Wings for Wheels. I have a recording of it. Um, he played some shows at the main point, which were like, if you're a Springsteen nerd, these were like legendary bootleg shows. But here's the original version of Thunder Road the screen door slams. Angelina's dress sways Like a vision she dances across the porch As the radio plays Roy Orbison singing for the lonely That's me babe and I want you only Don't turn me home again I can't face myself alone in that mirror again tonight Don't run back inside baby you know just what I'm here for so you're scared and you're thinking that maybe you ain't that young anymore Show a little faith, there's magic in the night You ain't a beauty, but baby, oh, you're alright And that's alright with me I love anyway. demos, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really love hearing a, all that, the different the creation of the song. Yeah, like it's like we're sorry, listen, I've never heard that before. And I just like as we're listening to I'm, I, I just my, the hair on my arms just there standing. Like I said, this is like it's one of my favorite verses in rock and roll. It's yeah. a perfect rock and roll song. Absolutely. It is. And then you with know. that that album blowing up, he gets to go to London for the first time. Yeah. Now, he just goes over there and tears it up. Now, I talked to a lot of people this week who said, that, like, oh, we're doing a, a show on Springsteen. I, I got a few eye rolls. Like, I'm like, well, you know, that's understandable. Now, if you don't have – if you're going to eye roll at Springsteen, watch. You can find it on YouTube. You can find this concert. You will instantly have respect for Springsteen after you see the energy, the just the level of musicianship, the just how badass of a band they are. A lot of people like to roll their eyes on Springsteen and, oh, I don't like how his voice sounds or I don't like this. I don't like that. But you, I guarantee you, you go see him in concert, man. You're become a super fan. Yeah. You know, Joe Strummer has the best quote about Springsteen. He said, Bruce is great. If you don't get it, you're a pretentious Martian from Venus. It's, I think that's pretty correct. That's pretty correct. I mean, and when he goes to London, but. Now the hype machine is is yeah. full on. So the marquee out front, you can. There's pictures of this. It just says, "Finally, London is ready for Bruce yeah. Springsteen and the E Street Band." And inside, there was all these posters that had that John Landau quote on it. And the record label was handing out pins as you walked in. They said, "I've seen the future of rock and roll at the Hammersmith Odeon." Oh, I and want he, one. I want he, one. I know. I, I was <laughs> yeah. looking for him. And he goes and he just tears all that crap down. He yeah. he tears the letters down. He tears the yeah. posters down. He does not like that. The comparison to Bob Dylan and that you're the greatest singer of rock and roll. He's like, just let me go out and play. Damn it. Yeah. Sure. Like, don't do this whole promotion. Yaha. All my posters everywhere. They're putting like pamphlets and all the chairs. Yeah. And he. And he was kind of unknown, like out in England. And England kind of like, all right, we'll come in here. Well, don't forget, we gave you the Beatles, and you're just some nobody from New Jersey. And matter of fact, where is New Jersey? Well, right, like you know, Bruce yeah. just said, they were waiting for him. 
you know, yeah. they're waiting for him to, to come to England so they could judge him. Yeah. They, you know, like we, they like to think they invented rock and roll. Sure. And just Bruce Springsteen showed them what America really does and, and we can make the best rock and roll there is. And I, I think one more, one more thing, and I'm probably going to, I'm going to fanboy a little bit here, but even the cover of that album, you know, he's, it's, it's him and he's holding the guitar and he's got the leather jacket and he's got an Elvis fan club pin on it. Yeah. And he's leaning, you can't see who he's leaning on, right? Mm. Cause it's, you gotta open it up. And he's, he's leaning on Clarence and just the look in his face as he's looking, it's mischievous. It's, it's a smirk, like he knows what we're bringing to yeah, you. And he's Clarence like, the- looks like he's just blowing it up, man, with a, totally. And it's just an awesome, awesome artwork. And there's like, they took like over 600 photos. They took for a lot that. of yeah. pictures and, and hours. It was a long, it was a long session. It was just, you know, those two guys, because going back to that friendship thing, like he wants to show that this album's about like friendship. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, it's Scooter and the big man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and they were, Clarence was his foil on stage and Bruce made him this larger than life character all the time. Sure. And, and he's also a black guy playing yeah. rock and roll yeah. in the, in the seventies. It's like 1975. You got race riots going on and here's Springsteen. On the cover with a black guy in yeah. a black and white photo, and Clarence looks like Wesley Snipes. Black. Sure, yeah, he he's sure he, he does. Yeah. Very dark skinned. He he was the big man. He was yeah. He, he was supposed to be a football player until he was in a car accident. Yeah, he was right. a he was a really really big dude, and and they were just best friends. And this was kind of like their introduction. Like we're going to take we, the world. Here on. we are. Yeah. yeah. Now I was sitting here talking about like now thinking about the importance. Like you brought up, like you're thinking about what's going on in the world, especially in America at that time with the race riots and everything like that. How important was that image for people to see? Now here's this guy, the working class, is that, and he has an African American black guy on the cover with him. There was there were race riots in Asbury Park in the early 70s. Sure. Yeah. So it was like it was right there. The stuff think, was happening right there. I think Bruce knew exactly what he was doing. He's like I'm going to break down barriers and I'm going to start with this album cover. Mm-hmm. He's like there is no color to my music. There, that's great, you know. Yeah, that's a great example. There's there's old YouTube videos of them playing on stage together and they're they're playing off each other and they're dancing. At one point they come up and they like they kiss each other on the cheeks I, and they yeah yeah you know, it's like the the energy and the fun and the the just all yeah. of it man that, that early stuff is just great. like the outside world doesn't exist off that stage. There's just like the it's stage just, and yeah. the music yeah. and yeah. everything just falls away. Like what Landau said, man, it made him feel like he was hearing music for the first time. I watched um, a bunch of concerts from like '84 and everything. Springsteen and Clarence were at their height. Of then they were they were like a cartoon characters sure man. yeah they were like superheroes like one wasn't what the they i'm sorry one wasn't what the other one wasn't they made like one thing like, i don't really know how to explain no, no. spring scenes yeah. this little dude yeah and clarence is the big man yeah in my opinion the e street band is the greatest assembled band in rock and roll history and guess what they're all from the same area you know it's like you said before, like the Ramones, like those guys were destined to be together. Yeah. Dude, the E Street Band and Bruce Springsteen were yeah. destined to be together. The universe opened up yeah. and they saw these guys and they were like, they were born to run. Yeah. The story when uh, Clarence first met Springsteen, like it's it's a big like fable, I guess you would say. Yeah. Like, oh, the blue, the door blew open, the wind was this and yeah. that, and Clarence saw Bruce and he's like, saw him play and- yeah, the the legend is yeah. that Bruce was playing at a, a place down Asbury Park, and Clarence was in another band and decided when his gig was up, he wanted to go see Springsteen, and it was snowing 
in Asbury Park and Clarence opened the door and it was so windy the door ripped off the hinges and blew down the street and the big man walked in and he was standing in the doorway and then lightning hit behind him and all the white snow and he just came up to Bruce and said like can I play with you and Bruce was like yes and then, yeah I was like and you're right but he, he tells these stories in the how he how he meets these guys and yeah. he makes it sound like a comic book yeah. it sounds and, like a western yeah. like, you know, he's, just, he's told a million different stories of how they met too about yeah. them like they they ran into the Jersey Devil in the Pine <laughs> Barrens, or they were riding their tricycles as kids. He just makes these enormous yeah. stories up about rock and roll. He's, he's really great on stage, yeah. Springsteen, to come up with just like stories. Yeah. Like he seems like he's got like so many gimmicks that the band is in on, and him and Clarence like like yeah. they thrived off their their gimmicks that they yeah. did like, together. But you said though, like I'm a like you said Springsteen, like I'm a phony. I'm this. I'm it's a little bit of magic. It's this. It's that. You know, and it's just. Dude, it's just part of who they are. Like, I'm, I've heard that thing with, like, the Jersey Devil came down and, like, you yeah. know, we ran in the, and I've heard all these stories and I just, it makes me, I, it just makes me smile and just love, like, appreciate this, the band a little bit more. You want to, you want to keep moving on? I want to move on to my favorite album. Well, it's 1978 and they, Bruce starts working on Darkness on the Edge of Town. All right. Yeah. So let's wrap up on Born to Run, man. Let's keep going. But, Things are starting to get a little dicey with uh, Bruce Springsteen and Mike Pellick. Remember in the story, it was saying that John Landau is now in, telling, giving Bruce advice. And um, Bruce takes a look at his contract and decides he doesn't like it. And uh, he, he, had a, he signed a really weird deal. Remember I said before that he didn't take the contract that Bill Graham offered him because he didn't want to sign away his publishing rights. He, did, he didn't have control. And Mike Pell had set up a company called Laurel Canyon. And Laurel Canyon had the deal with Columbia Records. Bruce had a deal with Laurel Canyon. Bruce kind of sued him over the contract. And Mike Appel countersues him to block Bruce from going into the recording studio with John Landau on the next album. So this is 76 that starts to happen. And, uh, you know, Mike Appel is pissed because he had gotten an advance from Columbia on the royalties from Born to Run. And they're, they're kind of at odds. So... Bruce then just starts. He he can't. He won't go into the studio for two years. That's so a, he had two probably. albums in ten months. Then born to run, full speed ahead. We've got momentum, and now this lawsuit, and he won't go in the studio. It's so dangerous. Was he touring at all? Or yeah, was, yeah. So he goes on tour. He actually goes on a tour. He called the lawsuit tour in '77. <laughs> Didn't Tom Petty go in that tour? Too? Did he? He, he might yeah, have. He might have. Um, and he's he's that's the only thing he's doing. He said it's the only way we can get money coming in. But his shows get even more legendary. Now he's playing arenas because the, the word is out that he's so good. But at some point, he I read an interview. He said that he was willing to die for control of his music and his artistry. And they eventually settle the lawsuit. He gets a new deal with Columbia. And he now has full control. And Mike Appel is out. Mike Appel never does another thing in his music career ever again. Can we give him the shit bag of the week? I think he is the awesome. shit bag of the week. So yeah, I was actually friends with him on Facebook. It's kind of really? weird. Yeah, I, <laughs> he, he, he has yeah. to be your friend. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. He saw another Bruce he wants to take advantage of financially, <laughs> but now he goes back into the studio with John Landau, and he makes in 1978 "Darkness on the Edge of Town." What a great! This album. is my favorite album. Why? Why is it your favorite? I think it shows a different side of Bruce. You know, um, Born to Run is about this album about breaking out, busting out of, you know, your life and starting a new life. And Darkness is more of a album that's like you're licking your wounds a little bit, like you, you life beat you up a little bit and maybe it's not all 
what you thought it was, and it's a little bit more rough, and you have to force yourself to grow up a little bit faster. Do you think his albums moved along with his personality? Yeah, like, I think a good writer always everything that he felt. It seems like he wrote about it and put it on albums. Like it's a story of his life. Well, it's yeah. like Bruce said, he wrote fifty songs, and he only yeah. used ten of them. Yeah, you know, darkness is. Let's go through the songs. You open up with Badlands, then Adam raised the cane, something in the night, Candy's room. And the last one is racing in the streets on the first side, on the, and then the, the second side <laughs> is Promised Land, Factory, Streets of Fire, Prove It All Night, and Darkness in the Edge of Town. It just you read the songs off, and just this is why it's my favorite album. That that you know the line in Badlands, "It ain't no sin to be glad you're alive," is like that's to me that's the lyric that I live my life by. Like that's my favorite yeah. lyric in all of music. That's what I I, I text you this week. I'm like, a bad lands a day will keep the therapist away. Yeah, it's just such a simple thing. Like it ain't no sin to be glad you're alive. Like, no. and that's amid all of these songs where it is kind of some heavy material. Like Adam raised a cane is probably about his dad, sure. and Factory is about his dad. I love and Factory. It's it's slow. Like you got to be. I think you got to be really into him to. To, to understand like Factory. Yeah. Racing in the it. Street to me is my is my favorite Springsteen song. And I actually the um the version he put out with the promise. The promise was all the outtakes from yeah. Darkness a couple years ago. And there's this there's some really, really awesome stuff on there. But there's an alternate version of Racing in the Street, and that's like my favorite Springsteen song ever. Springsteen he's the only guy that can make an engine sound poetic or like, you know, a, a car make it sound poetic. Um we should listen to a little bit of Racing in the Streets. Yeah, let's do it, man. I got a 69 Chevy with a 396 Fuelie heads and a hearse on the floor She's waiting tonight down in the parking lot Outside the 7-Eleven store Me and my partner's son I can see why it's your favorite song. Yeah, it's man. my one of my favorite songs also. And it's a guy that he's fighting off like the world, and he he just wants to go racing, man. That's the only thing that matters. And then he gets older, and he gets a girl, and there's wrinkles around her eyes, and you know they just want to go and take a long drive and maybe go jump in the ocean to kind of like the weight of the world is there's on a, their shoulders. There's by some the end. great lyrics in that song, yeah. like you say, even in the beginning of it. It's like we run for the money. No strings attached. Patch. We shut them up and then we, we shut, shut them, them down. down. Yeah, that's like when I'm just saying that. Just it, it brings me like a chill. Yeah, we shut them up and we shut them down. I it's, think we said that a lot in our lives. It's such a great song, and then it goes into that that piano by Roy Bitten, and it's just it's great. Um, there's a lot of really good piano on this album too. Like oh, yeah. uh, Streets of Fire's got some really great piano, and even the I mean the guitar stuff. The, the guitar on Adam raised a cane. He played like the beginning of that because I think this is the first like where Bruce is like, by the way, I know how to really play guitar. That's it. Just that opening riff, man. It's just you can always tell Springsteen's solos because he like drags his notes he doesn't bend them he drags them Darkness on the Edge of Town has a bunch of other great songs on it like I was saying earlier Promised Land is a great song I don't think it gives you 
a little bit of hope when you know when you're down. I think yeah. that's what he was going for. He was trying to find some hope in the darkness. And of course, darkness on the edge of town, the song itself. And and that's one of my favorite also. Yeah, I actually like that song. There's a, a there's been plenty of times that I've been standing outside McCusker's and I can see the sun going down and and I say to myself that I'm standing on the dark edge of town. And uh that always stuck with me. Like I would always play that song The Sun's Going Down. And that's a lot of his lyrics, man. It's just like you feel like he's talking to you. Yeah. You know, and that's one of the reasons that I love his music so much. So he writes he writes about seventy songs for this album. He records fifty of them. Some of them he saves for other albums, and then a couple of them he gives away. It's because of the night he gives to Patty Smith and fire that he gave to the Pointer Sisters. You know, when he gave Patty Smith because the night it was unfinished. I w- I heard that Patty Smith was uh, recording next door with Jimmy Iovine also while he was working with Bruce. And he's like, you know, Jimmy was like, she doesn't have a single yet. She doesn't have a hit. Bruce is like, let me go with my binder. Flips through the binder. He's like, this one will do. He pulls it out and it's because of the night. He's like, it's not finished, but you know, tell her, you know, this is how it goes and whatever. And she adds the, the next part waiting by the phone. Like, that's all yeah. her. Like, Springsteen starts it, and then she finishes the lyrics. You know, originally, he wrote Fire for Elvis Presley? Yes. He wrote yes. that for Elvis. I do, I do remember reading that at some point. Him and little Steven went to go see Elvis at the Spectrum in 79. So, he wrote that song in... A few days later, from seeing Elvis, he wrote Fire for him, and allegedly sent him a, de- a demo, and then Presley died in August of that year. So, wind up... A guy came named Robert Gordon, and if you ever listen to it, you can really hear the Elvis like influence in it. And then the Pointer Sisters actually, yeah, had a I'm, semi. I'm playing it in it. my head. I yeah, can, I, 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 but I, I also that was super cool. And another Philadelphia thing, like he wrote that song for Elvis, seeing Elvis at the Spectrum in '79. Did you ever hear that story about Bruce knocking on Elvis's door? He climbed the. F- they were playing in Memphis, and with the Graceland, yeah, yeah. he climbed over the fence. He walks, he runs over the door. He's like, "Hi, is Elvis home?" And a guy. A- and he was like, no, he's not home. Who are you? He's like, I'm on the cover of Newsweek in time. He's like, bullshit. Right. Yes, I don't care yes, who you so, are. So am I. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. It was like after a show. It was like, it was it was like 3 o'clock in the morning, dude. Yeah. Like, you know? He's, he's like, like, I want you to come to my next show. You know? Yeah. Elvis was in Florida or Lake Tahoe or something. I think it was Lake Tahoe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a couple other things I thought that were interesting about this album was it was originally supposed to be called Badlands. And Bruce had all the songs picked out. He had artwork picked out. They were getting ready to send it to pressing, and then he scrapped the whole thing. And this comes up so many times over his career that there's all these rumors of all these albums that he had finished and produced that he never released because he's making so much material. I believe it. Um, and then a bunch of those songs do come out. I said there's there's an album called The Promise that was all the leftover stuff. And that's like – man, when I heard that, I'm like, man, the, the shit he throws away is, is really yeah, – the there's, some, there's some really great songs on that album. I was listening to it driving over here. The album cover for that, uh, Darkness, was shot in Haddonfield, New Jersey. So it's yeah, that's uh, very, very close, right near where you guys grew up. Yeah, but um, I, I would love to have a piece of that wallpaper. I would like just it's have like really a little cheesy. square of yeah. it. Just yeah. have like a little square of it hang up in the house. He just like – like you look at the cover of Born to Run and he's ready to take on the world. Sure. You look at the cover of Darkness on the Edge of Town, it looks like the world's done with him. And it just he just looks tired and beat up and he's like But when they shot that album cover, they had all these like different changes of clothes and this and that. And you know wind up taking a picture and the stuff that he showed up in. Yeah. This is also where his live shows really start becoming legendary. He said he was out 
because of that lawsuit, he was on the road. His shows are starting to become these three-hour things, and they're mm. getting bootlegged. Um, there's a part in his show, and I should have saved – I should have YouTubed it, but he starts yelling at the crowd. Is anybody alive out there? Yeah. And the crowd goes nuts back at him. He's like, I can't hear. Is anybody alive? The story has always been that Robert De Niro saw him play. And that is anybody alive out there is where Sprint, he got the idea in Taxi Driver. The, Are you talking to me? Really? So that's an inspiration really? from Springs. That's awesome. So, I never heard that before. I don't know if that's true or not. Hey, like a lot we now. make it true now. No, on right. our show, everything we say is true. But it's uh, yeah, it's just an interesting little nugget that I had on my notes two pages ago, and I couldn't figure a place to put it in. So here we are. I like it. You have, so, to, you have to fit them in somewhere. Yeah. So do you want to move on to The River? 1980. You know, The River... It's not one of my favorite albums. But one song that is on that album is uh, Hungry Heart. So he originally wrote that song for the Ramones. Yes. I don't know if you ever yeah, heard yeah, of it. Yeah, we, we were talking about this. Yeah, we were talking about it walking down here. And I think that's absolutely hilarious. I think the three of us actually think it's hilarious. And when I found that out, I immediately went and played it. Like, played it. Trying and I'm like, to, trying trying to hear the Ramones. Ramones to do it. And I'm like... Man, I don't know if ever, anybody ever dope, but I can't wait to run the Ryan. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to do a version of Hungry Heart like the Ramones. No, man. I'm all about it. Let's That'd go. That'd be awesome. I, I listen to the lyrics, and I can hear Joey singing it. Sure. Yeah. They're, it, it's real yeah. simple. I can, uh, dude, I, I would love to hear a version just like the, that. Just think of those first lyrics, you know, and hear Joey singing it. You yeah. Know, yeah. I took a wrong turn, and I kept on going. That's that's what's up. Yeah. That's this, that, the, that's like the songs made so uh, made so much more sense to me after reading that that he wrote that for the yeah. Ramones. Like and, it's great. And he said he he wrote it for the Ramones, and John Landau was like, "Oh, dude, you're giving away all these catchy yeah. songs. Yeah, yeah. Let's keep yeah, this yeah, one." Yeah, yeah. This is another album that had a different title, had a different name, and he scrapped it at the last minute. This was originally going to be called "The Ties That Bind." Bruce had picked out all the songs. It was mixed down. And then he just said, I, you know, I'm out. I don't like it. It doesn't fit my vision because it was only 10 songs. Mm-hmm. And then Landau was the one that was like, well, why don't we make it a double album? The single album came out a couple years later, again, when there's like a river box set, which is, you know, I guess one of the great things of him recording all of this stuff is as he's gotten older, he's been releasing so much of it. Like he, he's got to have decades of material still that mm. is going to be coming out for years, oh, his, and years and his years. His archives are deep like Tupac's. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, did you say that this isn't – you're not a big fan of the I, No. It's not like, that I, remember, I don't like the big fan. It's like, okay, The River is not my favorite album by Springsteen. I don't know. There's got to be one favorite. There's got to be another No, I hear you. And this is my least favorite one. Well, I'm really surprised you hear that. I remember you just like just praising the mm. writing, the, the writing, the words, the songs on the no, album. No, it's great. Like Jackson Cage is a great song. Two Hearts is a great song. Independence Day is awesome. Out in the Streets is great. You can look awesome song stolen car and ramrod they're all great songs is it my favorite album no because it's a little bit too pop for me man like i said i'm a jukebox fan and i'm shocked to hear you say that because i thought that 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 was like scripture no i think what did it was you know what i think in high school they should play every they should sit every male down and play the fucking river for them (laughs) it's like you know what guys keep it in your pants or this is what's gonna happen (laughs) that that song scared the shit out of me growing up (laughs) that song is actually about his sister yeah is it really his sister got knocked up when she was young and so the the woman in the river is his sister you want to play a little bit of that yeah
Like the River is a great album. Like what you said, though, there's a few songs on there that just don't cut it. It's an album that I don't listen to to the beginning to the end. It's a definitely an album that I skip through. There's some songs on here, man. Like you could make one album of just really rocking yeah. songs, but some of these are just I'm, I just call them you pissing a beer song because you you he plays them in concert and you go get a beer and you take a piss and you you need those in a Springsteen concert because he plays for four hours. Yeah. What else do you want to play out the river? I feel like we gotta we gotta play something rocking because there are some really good rocking tunes. Play on it out in the streets. Out in the streets. All right, hang on. That is one of my favorite songs live. Song. Yeah, That's and great, great and live. I mean, he's just playing off the crowd. And yeah, and they go yeah. back and forth, and man, he really knows how to play a crowd. Yeah, all right, so that's it with The River. So why don't we move forward to 1982 and something completely different for Springsteen, man, Nebraska. It's crazy that he made this album, after, especially albums after Born to Run, Darkness, and The River. He makes this acoustic album with a four-track player. And, you know, it's so gritty. It's it's great. You but, know? yeah, he's bringing it back down to the basics. Yeah. You know? This is another thing that he has a vision for a project and it doesn't go the way he wants. It's been almost every single thing we've talked about. So he, he recorded this on a four-track in his house and it was supposed to be the demo for the full band. Yeah. And the band gets together – and they're playing it, and he just they he just doesn't like yeah. it. And they said he plays the demo or something, and one of the guys in the band just goes, "Dude, there's your album. You have it already." Yeah. And there's always been these rumors that there's this electric version of this album floating around that we've I, never heard. I heard um something this week that they played, and it, it was something electrified from. I can't remember what it yeah, was. Yeah, I sent it to you. Yeah, it was one okay. of the, one of the songs, and the and the crowd went. It was a reason to believe. Okay. And the crowd went went bonkers because yeah. they know he's playing it with yeah. the band and max weinberg has hinted a couple times at like yeah we did record the whole thing yeah maybe one day it will come out yeah i, th I think but so did, did this you, album do well at all like commercially it was just like atlantic city was a hit sure yeah. atlantic city was a huge and that hit, pushed yeah. the album yeah so it, i think it was a springsteen hit sure I, I don't know if it was like a top 10 seller Right, but it, but it's just like you know my whole theory with Springsteen. He's at his best with the, with the E Street Band. Well, you know this album's different album. Sure, um, no, and he has the right to do it. The thing about this album, how it was written, everything's written in first person. He's telling story after story. Like you're gonna like this. Do you know what the song Nebraska is about? I honestly do not. It's about a, a serial killer named Charles Starkweather, who him and his girlfriend went across Nebraska and killed about 10, 15 people. And two dogs. 
And oh, oh, Doug would like this. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, you, you know, just the story it's behind just the it. Story behind it. Maybe I need to give it a listen because I can honestly say I've never, no. never given the this album hard, hardcore listen. The lyrics are just so great. But then there's other songs on it. Johnny Ninety Nine is one of my. Favorite I know that song. That song's great. Highway Patrolman, State Trooper. I think that's my favorite one on the on the album. Mm-hmm. Now, did you ever hear the story of Atlantic City down here in South Philly? Yeah, when they blew up the chicken man in Philly last night. So we're sitting in McCusker's Tavern right now. That is about some- mom, Phil Testa. Phil Testa's yeah. house got blown up. Yeah. And it's, that's three blocks from where we're sitting right now. And matter of fact, our Uncle Jimmy, who opened the bar with my, with our father, was coming home from the bar that night on a load. And as soon as he walked into the house, the explosion he heard happened. heard it? Oh, no, no kidding. It, it, dude, it was like three doors away from him. Yeah, three doors. Oh, house. three, three doors. doors away from Oh, wow. Him. Yeah. So, not that anybody needed to call the cops when this happened because it was an explosion in the middle right. of a residential area. Oh, wow. But he literally picked up the phone and called the police. Wow. So, like, I blew the chicken man up in Philly last night. So, that happened three blocks from the bar. So, next time you visit McCusker's and we do our tour, yeah. you know, we take you around the neighborhood, we'll take you to chicken man's house, and we'll leave you there. And also, I mean, he makes this album, and it's so different than everything else because he's he's now made some money, and he's out from underneath that contract, so he can kind of do what he wants. Yeah, and he's kind of got that that freedom now for the rest of his career that yeah. whatever he wants to do, he can do. He actually got that idea too from that that story about Charles Starkweather from a movie. It was a movie called Badlands. Mm-hmm. They made about. Oh, okay. It's it just yeah, they're they're just again all this stuff that he's pulling from all these old movies and songs. He's just so influenced by like by pop, pop by, yeah, by like, early pop culture, yeah, like, like the, Americana, and it's great. Like yeah. you know, you know, we we talk about how he has his relationship with his father. He's got a song on here called "My Father's House." Yeah, and that's a I, I think it's a really sad song. I actually listened to that today, and I yeah. th- I literally because I I love when he talks about his dad, you know. And I was like, oh, let me listen to this. And I really did enjoy that song. It's a sad song. Yeah. You know? I just think Nebraska is a sad album. Sure I, it is. Nebraska is a sad place, man. It's gloomy. It's cold. Like, you didn't call it California, man. No, and th- with the weather that we're having yeah. in Philadelphia, um, it's been snowing nonstop basically for days. Nebraska is a great album to listen to during a, during a snow thing like this. And I, I read somewhere that he, what he mixed this on an old boombox and the boombox had gotten wet. During a, he was like boating or something and he, it got wet on the, on the boat. So everything, if you listen to it, it's, everything is slightly below the pitch that it's supposed to be mm-hmm. because they mixed it on this old boom box. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. I thought you that have was all cool. this, you have all this, these tools to your, to your access. Th- this is what I'm going to use. He wants the sound a yeah. certain way. I've, so I've seen people say that, uh, it's considered the first alt country record, you know, gave rise to all mm-hmm. those other like old 97s and Sunvolt and all those mm-hmm. kind of bands. Um, this is also the first album he comes out. He doesn't tour to support because he said it was too dark and he didn't want to. And he actually said he started seeing a therapist after writing the yeah, album because he mean, was like – He lost himself probably. Yeah, he just, lost just himself in this, this these darkness. These stories, yeah. these dark put, stories. Dude, put that album on and l- read the lyrics from online. It's not a happy happy album at all. Why don't we take a listen to Nebraska? Okay. It's not the most up-tempo song. A little warning, but the story is great.
saw her standing on her front lawn, just a twirling her baton. Me and her went for rides. But man, you, yeah, you just compared that to some of those rocking things of the river. If you're like a big fan of his and the energy and you put this on, you're like, what the hell is this? I guess after you have success like Born to Run, everything else is like kind of like you're trying to, to get back there. Get again? It. And I think Springsteen maybe had enough of that chasing the record. Sure. And at the same time, you probably sold like by that time you had like your cult following. You had oh yeah, but it's not like you're you're. It's not like it's it's you're playing like Thunder Road and everything. Sure, you're playing Stadium Rock. Yeah, you're playing songs that are way over people's head. Bruce, what do you think Atlantic City is about? Um, I don't know if it's too deep of a question. The guy is down on his luck. It almost reminds me of the guy from Meeting Across the River from Born to Run. Like he's he's gonna go commit a crime yeah because he's trying to get out of this hard life that he's having yeah um i always saw as like a hitman he's like he's the one that blew up the chicken man and he's on the run and it's his girlfriend he's telling get ready because we're gonna hit on the bus and we're taking off and we're never coming back yeah you know you said that to me a few weeks ago and i honestly thought that's what the song was about and that that's just your interpretation that's of the song. what it always the, from the first time I ever heard the song, that's what I thought it was about. That's why you're a lot smarter than I am when it comes to the music sometimes, because I would never have thought that. I, brilliant. You know, it's Atlantic City, and then later on they had that, that song Murder Incorporated. I yeah, thought, you did bring that up. I yeah. thought that was the sequel to Atlantic City. That's Dude, that's a great point. You said that also when we were talking about it. That's a great, great point. Yeah. I, I just saw Papa's got his gun hidden underneath his pillow, and now it's like, 20 something years later from the parents that are on the run and now they have a family and you know i don't know i don't want to play a little bit of atlantic city because i want to play that after the break because i want to play some different versions of it to talk about the versatility of his music but um sure you play a little bit of johnny 99 yeah that's, yeah. A, that's another great song I love simple songwriters. That's why I like I love Tom Petty. You know, I love it takes so much talent to write a simple song that tells a great story. Bruce Springsteen's the master of storytelling. So I think that is it for Nebraska. You know, it's a great album. It's very underrated. Um, if you feel like chilling out one day, definitely put Nebraska on. Why not? So now we are up to 1984 and Born in the USA comes out. And it just explodes. This is one of the most popular albums of all time. I think it was like my first exposure to Springsteen. Mine you know, too. Totally. Yeah, I think everybody... Now, was this before, like, uh, We Are the World, or was this, like, after We Are the World? Probably this is before, before We Are the yeah, World. Yeah, so he was, like, this is, like, you know, Springsteen was everywhere at this point. He was, he was like, America, he was pop culture. He was this, he was that, you know. And, you know, 
kids like us, we grew up. We all had MTV growing up. I think to a point, guys our age, MTV took over cartoons. Like sure. we stopped watching cartoons and start watching MTV more. I remember watching the video for Born in the USA, and it was really gritty. Remember how gritty it was? Yeah. It was like I knew from looking at the visual of it that he wasn't telling a nice story. Born in the USA, you know, Ronald Reagan says it's one of the greatest American songs ever written. But did he know what the song was about? No clue. That's why Springsteen wouldn't let him use it, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, If you don't know, Born in the USA is about the veterans from the Vietnam War coming back to America and not having much to come back to. I like the original idea for Born in the USA. It's on an, the box set called Tracks. Um, Bruce, I got it on there. Let's play a little bit of yeah, it. Yeah. The, here's the one that was released. It's enormous. The sound sure. is huge. Sure. It's just a, it just sums up like eighties arena it's rock. Iconish. Yeah, he's playing in Wembley Stadium now. Huge, huge friggin' sound. Now let's play the demo. This demo was actually recorded for the Nebraska album. Yeah, it's a completely different song. So here's here's the demo version. That's really strange to listen to. I've no. never heard that before. I think that is more true to the words. Sure. The the anger, the guy, the guy in the story, man, has just been kicked around and I got nowhere to run. I got nowhere to go. No, you know, I, I 10 went, years burning down the road. Like you, it's just the weight is heavier with this version. I, I just think maybe is it, it's not even close to my favorite Springsteen song. I love, don't get me wrong. I love the message it gives. I I think I just maybe heard it too many no, times in my life, you know. It was like it was so iconic. It's so iconic. Well, that what I wanted to bring up, I remember the year that album came out for Christmas, me and Ryan got for Christmas two albums. One was Born in USA and the other one was Thriller on vinyl. Yeah. That's where he was at that point. He was up there, he was Michael Jackson status. Oh yeah. You know? It's- like Michael Jackson, that was Michael Jackson year, but Bruce Springsteen was right there with him. It was like the MTV year. He got offered something like yeah. millions of dollars for like Chevy, and he turned it down. Oh, right, and then they didn't they write another song? They wrote yeah. something close, yeah. something that sounds familiar to, to or close to Born in USA, like a, a cheap ripoff. Born in USA is a fucking great album. I'm not saying it's not. It's, you know, even I, the album cover is iconic. Yeah, you know, yeah. everything. Andy Leibovitz does the yeah. photo, and that's where his um. I mean, he's he's buff now. He's been working yeah. out. You know, he's got the the white shirt and the jeans and the headband. I mean, sure. you go see Springsteen now, and there are I see kids that go to those concerts who weren't they're not old enough to be alive then, 
and right. they're wearing that outfit to yeah. his concerts. It's it's great to look at it because it's red, white, and blue. Sure, it's, it's the flag of the working class man: the blue jeans, the white shirt, and the red hat in the yeah. back. And that's when he becomes the boss. People re- start referring to him as the boss because that was a really popular term in the eighties. Well, the album was so big. Yeah. You know, Born in the USA. Let's just, you know, it opens with Born in the USA. Cover Me is a great song. Darlington County, Working on the Highway. That's one of my favorite yeah. Springsteen songs. One of, I love Glory Days. That's like, I'm yeah. a jukebox guy. Like, that song gets me going all the time. I'm on Fire is a great song. That's a great song. Bobby Jean's a great song. You know, and how iconic is Dancing in the Dark? Dancing I mean, Dancing in the Dark originally wasn't even on that album. It was like he, he had it all. Again, Bruce wrote 80 songs for this album. Mm-hmm. And then he, um, it, he, Picks the ones he wants, and John Landau goes like, "Dude, you, there's no single here. You don't have a single." Yeah, really. And he's like, "Goes like in a day, he writes Dancing in the Dark." He's like, "You want a song? You want another single? Yeah. You go write it." If you listen to those lyrics, it's like me sitting at home, don't want to do this. You know, I want to change. I want to tear my look. I want to change my hair, my face. You know, he's that's just, a great point. It's great songwriting during the pressure. Like you know, like I got, I got to write a hit song. Uh, here, here you go. I wrote it in four minutes. But don't you think it like that's when they really the record company really starts pushing Springsteen? Like you really because what I guess it was like Born to Run was his most successful album prior to Born in the USA, right? Yeah, this is his. This goes fifteen times platinum. But it is like this was the push for the record company. Yeah. This was like we're going to make him bigger than Mickey Mouse. We're yeah. going to make him bigger than anything. Yeah, he was, he was so big. Yeah, I mean, what was it the, in the movie Back to School? Sure. Remember, yeah. they, they're in the limousine, and oh, yeah, they yeah. there, and he has a sign to Bruce Springsteen, yeah. and everybody loses their shit. Yeah, yeah. That's how big he was. But you have to think about it. So, you like, okay, now it's what, you're 1984? Yeah. Okay, so now you have all these people that were hardcore Springsteen fan when Bored and Run came out. So, this is like 10 years later, right? Yeah. yeah. So, those guys, those people who bought that album, who saw, the, the, who saw what Springsteen gave, that live show, and here he is doing it again, yeah. better. And you know, this is where he's playing. I mean, he's playing like, somewhere- and he's doing multiple nights on every stop. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's playing, playing stadiums. Football yeah. stadium. And I, more importantly, he's back with the E Street Band. Well, he hasn't fired the E Street Band Right, yet. but he's he's playing. He's playing with them. Yeah. Little Steven leaves. Yeah. Little Steven yeah. quits because he decides he he's wants to do something artist. like with politics. And yeah, he, he did that. that no part, son, son. For apartheid or yeah. something like that. That was a failure, wasn't it? That yeah. didn't really do but it. But they add in. Nils Lofgren. Yeah, which is- And, a, and Nils, was, Nils played with uh, Crazy Horse, Neil yeah. Young. Yeah. And when Little Steven comes back, they make room to keep them both. Think, and Nils is a great I think that's player. A, I think that's a great story. Like, I was telling a story to one of my buddies today. And it's like, yeah, Little Steven left, and they got the other guy in. So Little Steven's like, I, I miss my friends. I want to play. So- did they fire our guy? No. Well, we'll just have four guitar players now. Yeah. You know? well, they always joke that he's the greatest like yeah. fourth slot guitar player <laughs> yeah. in the history of rock and roll. You know, it's like you look at Little Steven, like we talk about like Ronnie Wood doing all the heavy lifting during sure. the Stones. That Niels is doing all the heavy lifting. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the story is always that Bobby Jean is about Little Steven, that he's mm. saying, you know, good luck, goodbye. That's that's Bobby Jean is about little Steven. I have to go back and listen to that. I, I never put that together. A couple of these other songs too were supposed were written for Nebraska, like Downbound Train. Like that's kind of a dark song. Yeah, it was originally written for Nebraska. Working on a highway was actually written for Nebraska because if you listen to that, it, it's kind of weird. The guy gets locked up because of he was with a girl and it kind of sounds like she's underage mm-hmm. and i was like is this like the happiest statutory rape song ever written it's a little <laughs> it's a little it's weird creepy. but um i don't know what what what, what do you want to hear off of this album like every one of these songs i want to hear no surrender no surrender all right 
That song is just so awesome. I mean, like, what, what's more truth than I learned more from a three-minute record than I ever did in school? That totally is my life. And this, like, the production value on it, like, the sound of the music has changed. Absolutely. I was you noticing know, like, that myself. And that's, and I was just looking it up. That's actually, um, Bob Clearmountain starts producing his stuff and mm-hmm. he sticks with him for quite some time through the next couple albums. And it just has a different production to it than like Born in the USA. Like that, that huge towering sound is gone. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of like, I mean, Born in the USA to me, that beginning with the synthesizer just sums up like eighties arena rock. But, right? it's right. Da, 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 da. but that's great though. Yeah. You know, like yeah, the dancing sure. in the dark synthesizer it's, or it's the just, keyboards. You know? It's just. This is a more rockin' song, though. No surrender. It doesn't sound as dated. Like some of this stuff, it, it just—it's so eighty sounding. It is so eighty. Oh, absolutely, yeah. it totally does. No surrender is pretty timeless to me. Yeah. I mean, and all these songs are time- like when he plays them now, he updates a lot of sure. them. Yeah, you have to. But, but this song rocks. Like yeah. it's it like you could go see him now and play the song. You're like, damn, this song's goddamn yeah. good. All right, so that brings us up to Springsteen is now the greatest, the super superstar. We are the world. Moves on to everything. So I think we're going to take a commercial break and we come back. Maybe we'll dive in a little bit around. I, I got a little nugget on where the E Street Band got its name. Okay. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about what makes him so special and unique. And then let's do the electric chair and some listener feedback, man. And we'll call it a night. Awesome. 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 All right. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Stick around. This episode of the Prisoners of Rock and Roll is brought to you by McCusker's Tavern, located at 17th and Shunk Streets in South Philadelphia. McCusker's Tavern has been in business for more than 50 years, making it the oldest bar west of Broad Street and a city known for its neighborhood watering holes. Minutes from the sports stadium, McCusker's is a great place to stop in for a few beers before or after a game or a concert. There's a reason why everyone from Philadelphia Magazine to Playboy have ranked it as one of the best dive bars in the city. Music is such an important part of McCusker's Tavern that we're actually recording this episode from there right now. They're currently closed due to the pandemic, but miss everyone and hope to see them soon. In the meantime, check them out on Facebook. That's McCusker's Tavern. All right, we're back from a commercial break. I think uh, one thing we didn't talk about yet is where does the E Street Band get its name? You know, an E Street is, there's an actual E Street in Belmar, New Jersey. Belmar is a short town, very close to Freehold, where Bruce grew up. And the story always was that uh, Dave Sankis was the original keyboard player for the band, and the dude was always running late. And the legend is that the band was sitting outside waiting for him to come out and get in the van, and Bruce said, we have spent so much time parked on this fucking street, we might as well just call it the E Street Band. <laughs> and that's where they got that. the name. That's great. Maybe talk a little bit about... The band. The band was unbelievable. It's Like I said, it's, like, it's the greatest band ever assembled. The classic East Street lineup is Gary Talent on bass, Clarence Clemens on sax, Danny Frederici on keys and organ and squeeze box, Roy Benton on piano, the mighty Max Weinberg on drums, Stephen Van Zant on guitar, Niles Lofrin on guitar, and Patty Scalfa? Scalfa. Scalfa. Background singer, ornament wife. Yeah. Ornament wife. Who's <laughs> the guitar? Yeah. So, so she was in the band before they were married. Then. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, his band was unbelievable. Every time you see them, they bring it. Like, and they all had sure. names. Yeah. They were the big man and Mighty Max and Ray the Professor. Bitt, the professor. Yeah. And, you know, they, they, all, little Steven, they all were characters and they yeah. all played a role in this kind of stage show. A few years ago, um, I was lucky enough to go to their Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. Oh, really? It was them, Nirvana. Kiss, Hall Notes, uh, a few other artists I can't remember at the time. Peter Gabriel, 
which was fantastic. But the E Street Band, they got and Bruce was there and inducted them and all that. Man, they must have talked for forty five minutes because there's a lot of those guys, and I felt bad that you didn't go to that. But hey, I wish I was there. I would have been on the edge of my seat listening to every word that they had to say because it's their moment. They, you know, all this time and, you know, they got screwed over when they put Springsteen in, in the Hall of Fame. Right. He got in like 99. Well, I, and the band gets in in 2014. 2014. Now, I was kind of wondering why, like, how's the E Street band not in the Rock Hall of Fame? But it makes sense because, you know, Springsteen was like signed by himself prior to the E Street band. The E Street band was never on the E Street band was never like recognized on the album covers, even though Clarence was on the, uh, the cover of Born the Run. But speaking of Clarence, during that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Clarence already passed away. So what they did, I guess they had his niece up there, and it was her birthday. It was her last birthday that Clarence was alive, and he left a message on her answering machine singing happy birthday, and they played it there. Hmm. There wasn't a dry eye in the, on, yeah. like, on the stage or in the crowd. And you're saying like his niece. I mean, the fact that um, Springsteen is so old that – there have been members of the band who passed away, right? Like um, mm-hmm. Dan Federici passed away, Clarence passed away. But now you're seeing like relatives of the other band members moving. Yeah, around. really. Like Jake Clemens, man. You know, he was he was uh, Clarence's roadie for a long time. He like was on the road. They don't go pretty far. Like Springsteen don't go far to, to get his guys on the stage. From his roots, yeah. Yeah. Then that's great. That just says something about his character and, and like his – his his group like his it's his band you know it's like you that, know that dude Jake brings it every night mm-hmm. like I've been watching a lot of YouTube concerts from Springsteen especially from the last five years there are a lot of shows on YouTube um man that kid just brings it and Springsteen like adopts the kid brings him out like Clarence and everything like that makes, makes the whole the whole yeah like yeah. they they were showing the I whole- watched a clip of them playing Jungle Land. And Bruce is like, we haven't played this ever, so we're going to try to play it in Jungle Land. And he gets to the saxophone part, and he fucking nails it. Really? Like, he said he never even, like, practiced it before. I was I was at that show. The first, were you really? The first, really? The first time they played Jungle Land after he passed away was in Boston. And, and Bruce kind of, like, they play, and Bruce kind of backs off and just looks at him <laughs> and just is kind of like, Go ahead. It now it's your solo sure. to play. Yeah, and when he's done, he he like salutes him or something. Oh, it was yeah. a really they cool like moment for a while. Yeah, it was a really really cool yeah. moment because when the crowd when they start that opening string and everybody knew what was going to happen and the whole place just like got silent. It was in Foxborough Stadium. The whole place just went wow silent. Now during that show, didn't they have like a spotlight on a saxophone on a stand? They would the play when they would do Tenth Avenue Freeze Out, and when saying the big man joined the band. Mm-hmm. Everybody stopped and the lights came on and they played like a um yeah. a little montage right. of Clarence and then I don't know, it would go like three minutes yeah, and then they the would band show would- like just fo- uh, photo after photo video after video and everybody's cheering and Springsteen's like come on come on everybody yeah. cheer come on come on and it goes on for a while. And then he just goes right back into the song. Yeah. And like, a big man joins the band. That must have like rocked his, his whole world with Claire. Cause like, you know, like the friendship, everything. Like, yeah, of course, when anybody close to you passes away, it's a, it's a big life changer. Yeah. But for somebody you're in a musical creativeness with pretty much the whole ride, your whole ride, man, you know, that really had to hit home with like the home team. You know, oh, that's yeah. a, it was a huge loss to the East Street band. Um, but again, Jake Clemens filled great. He filled in great. 
Dick Kid brings it every night. It's his nephew, right? It's his yeah. nephew. Yeah. Another another person who filled in I thought was awesome was uh when Max Weinberg, you know, he was the the lead for Conan O'Brien's band. And one of the Springsteen tours, he, he was under contract. He couldn't get out of it. I think it might have been when Conan went to TBS. So Co- uh, Max Weinberg's son filled in and played drums with him. He is also the drummer for Slipknot. Yeah. Ryan's which, favorite band. Which is just great <laughs> that he's the drummer for Slipknot. Is playing <laughs> I know. With, with Springsteen. And he had, um, you know, like when Little Steven was in uh, Lilyhammer. Mm-hmm. You know, he is, of course, was Silvio Dante in The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. When he made Lily Hammer, he had the, he couldn't go on the tour. So they had Tom Morello from Rage Against a Machine play with him. It's, it's like the other side of the spectrum. Yeah. Man. You wouldn't think that, man, that would work, but it was awesome. No, like, it was awesome. And Springsteen I watched, let him go. Yeah. Springsteen yeah. gave him his room and let him play, you know, goes to Tom Joe to let him play solos. And, but that's even like Rage Against a Machine. Like, you know, they covered Tom Jones. They had a pretty big, Following yeah. with that song, yeah. like, and I guess like the the influences of what Springsteen has on like today's music is undeniable. Like, just look like the, the two guys you just mentioned who just filled in, who got yeah. lucky enough to fill in. I think the the live show too is what makes him so special. So I mean, we've kind of hinted at it. Seeing him live, you said before, man, it is it is as close to me as a religious experience. Totally, as, yeah. or. We've talked on so many of these episodes about music is about how it makes you feel. And man, the way I feel when I see him in concert, I'm like out of my mind. I'm no. just like, I'm dancing, yeah. I'm crying, I'm I'm just like that is my happy place. And Dude, if you're a male and you don't get choked up at a Bruce Springsteen concert, you're not a real male. One time I was in the Disney World and I got super fan Rob Owens to get me a shirt from uh the stone pony because i've never been so i'm like oh i want to start wearing local stuff so i'm on this bus in disney world every like if you're lucky enough to have been on like all the crammy all on this bus so here's this guy staring at me i have the, the stone pony shirt on and i'm like what is this guy looking at and it's like do you know him i'm like no and i want to talk to him and it gets a little bit smaller he's like he's got like this little girl in his arm and he's like yo dude nice shirt and i'm like thanks he's like He's like, I, this is the last place I ever expect to see it. He's like, I'm from that area where, you know, that's from. I've never expected to see that shirt here. I'm like, that's why you have to wear it. Right. And just to, just to show like how the respect of how he has from his fans, he said to me, I had the privilege of meeting Mr. Springsteen three times. And this guy was like an iron worker. He's definitely blue collar, you know, and it was just like a, one of his little experiences I won't ever forget. Like and, whenever I think about Bruce Springsteen, I think about meeting that guy, you know. That too and the Stone Pony and all that stuff. And that's part of the the allure of him is he has a part of his life where he moves out to California and he unfortunately, he, he fires the whole E Street band. Yeah. The 90s are really kind of like his dark – Sure. dark decade if he puts out a couple albums he tries writing happy songs it doesn't work but other than that i mean he finally gets his shit together and he moves back to jersey and he gets the band back together he's never left you know like yeah, yeah he lives on a giant horse farm in sure. in colt's neck but he's still like if you go to asbury park I mean, he will be at a bar having a beer watching the Giants game. And you sure. just don't, you know, like he goes surfing at the beach and there's, there's pictures everywhere of him. You know, there's pictures on Asbury Park. Somebody's getting their, uh, their, their engagement photos done. And he's he walking fl- by, he just yeah. flops down on the seat or he, it's, there's ha- all these times where he just shows up with a stone pony and he's having a beer because he's watching a band. And he gets up on stage and he plays for three hours, just unannounced. Just unannounced. Two years ago, I was on a Wildwood Boardwalk. Yeah. And walk, and we go to Sam's Pizza. And the guy's like, you'll never guess who walked by here yesterday. Just 
not knowing I'm a Springsteen fan or whatever, Bruce Springsteen was on the boardwalk last night. I'm like, can you imagine walking on the cliche of walking on the boardwalk and seeing Bruce Springsteen walk there's, down there's, the boardwalk? There's all these, I mean, you can see all these YouTube videos of him just getting up on stage with like these house bands yeah. and just playing music. But I think that's what makes Bruce Springsteen Bruce Springsteen. He keeps it to, he keeps his two feet on the floor. But he still goes home for every show. From what I read, every show that he plays, he goes home that night. I guess maybe on just on this coast. So if he's playing in Boston, he'll take a plane back to Jersey so he can spend the night home. He's but, just an average guy. It, when he gets the band back together, that's like an Asbury Park man. Before he goes on tour every year, he does all his rehearsals in Asbury Park. Yeah. Like a convention hall. He hashes all that stuff out there. And he's played shows too. Like um, you had to be a graduate of his high school to be able to go. Springsteen fans are dedicated guys. You see signs at Springsteen shows. Oh, I've seen you 120 times. I feel bad for Springsteen sometimes. You're like everybody sticks signs in his face the, the whole time that he's there. Like play, like he takes requests and, um, they're like, you know, pl- play just anything. Like anything. He, he actually will do like stump the E Street band. Let's move on. Yeah. All right. What else you got on Springsteen? It's 20 years since the album The Rising has been released. I love the rising. It, it, it holds a special spot for me in my heart. There's a lot of people out there that looked at a rising after, you know, nine 11, there's a famous story out there that Springsteen was walking on the beach alone. And there was just another guy on the beach and he's walking towards them. And the guy realizes it's Bruce Springsteen. And he says to him, it's like, we need you now. Do you, you need to, you need to come out and make an album. Yeah, and Springsteen said, "You're right," and came out with this huge sounding album. It's such a great album. Can yeah, we, can we play some of the Rising? Yeah, so he, yeah, he, he had the band. He had fired the band, and they were all doing their own thing. And he got the band back together, and then nine eleven happened, and this was the album that they they came back. Yeah, can I? I how about I play a little bit of Lonesome Day? That's my favorite song. On this yeah. Album. That is another song that when I am upset or having a tough time in my life, I play that song. And him singing that refrain of It's All Right, I feel like he's talking to me. That's and great. He's te- I'm, a, I'm getting emotional just talking about it. No, that's great. It. I find comfort in that song. And just thinking that this comes out after 9-11 and he's he's writing about 9-11 without exploiting it to make money. No. He's telling us it's going to be okay. Yeah. I remember hearing it for the first time. And like what you're saying, like I felt the song. I'm I'm literally getting tears in my eyes. No, I I can see it. it, It's like – No, it's – I remember being at the time of life that I was at and just just not 9-11 alone. I was having other tragedies going on in my life. And it was like him saying it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's it, it was everything did turn out all right. Yeah. So, you know, always listen to Springsteen when he tells you it's going to be all right. When he had the uh, the concert for New York, when they had that huge concert, didn't he open the show? They, the Springsteen opened yes. the show. Yes. He played uh, 
My City of Ruins, mm-hmm. which is originally Great about song. Asbury Park, mm-hmm. but after nine eleven, that really became sure. about about yeah. New York City. And that was a, that was a big. So we're sitting here talking about nine eleven. That was like a really big thing. Like, all right, well, the boss is up on stage, yeah. and we're all going to get through this. You and, know, and maybe that's a that's an interesting thing to touch on too. Is his he's always been about giving back. Mm-hmm. Like, if you go to one of his shows, he's always talking about he'll have somebody from a charity, like fill abundance, like raise some money. Mm-hmm. After Hurricane Sandy, he done a ton of sure. he did a ton yeah. of stuff. He's he, modest, yeah, yeah. Like he's a you, humanitarian more than anything else. Yeah. And it comes out like, like it comes. Out, he's always well, he's known for that. I think he knows what it's like to be poor. Sure, and you know he. If he can help somebody, he's all about it. Yeah. The version of Rose Tattoo with the Dropkick Murphys, which is just – it's a great song. Yeah. The two of them together. They they did that after the Boston bombings, the marathon bombing because they won Dropkicks. Just reached out to him and said, hey, man, would you do something to raise money? And he was – he jumped right on it and was like, here, this is what we did. And it's a great – it's a great tune. You know, they have so many other great songs on that album. One of my favorite songs on there is Waiting on a Sunny Day. Can we play a little bit of that? Yeah. It's become one of my favorite parts of the concert. Uh, when you go see Springsteen, when he performs that song, Waiting on a Sunny Day, he usually brings up a young child up and makes a big deal out of them and have them sing the lyrics to it. It's really something cool. You know, and it's amazing how these parents just hand their kids over to Springsteen. <laughs> it's like, here, take my kid. Bless them while you're up there. I've seen the Pope. Now, I've seen the Pope up close, and people hand their kids to the Pope to bless them. I've seen the same thing with Springsteen. <laughs> and it, that's one of the other – I guess the other moment is uh, Dancing in the Dark. He always pulls somebody up on stage to dance with him because everyone yeah. wants to be like Courtney Cox. And it became yeah. this like – people have a sign like, can I dance with little Steven? Can I dance with yeah. your guitar tech? And it becomes like a, a bigger yeah. joke. Like it, it was funny. You, you brought up at one point. Like people go to the Springsteen shows. They hold up signs like, oh, play this song. But you said something like there's nothing more adorable than seeing a girl at a Springsteen show dressed up like Courtney Cox from the dancing well, in the dark that's video. what they do now i mean yeah. especially with little girls yeah they dress them yeah. up like yeah. like that's you know, cute that's it is cute. it is it's a, yeah. it's a it's a cultural iconic thing yeah you know even if um it was courtney cox and it was somebody else it, it yeah. would it still it was, be as big yeah because it was, yeah. Big, it was such yeah. a huge yeah. video yeah. it was always on mtv i mean uh the rising also has a great song called mary's place i love that song about a little diner and it, but you know, it really does have all those sad songs on it, like "Empty Sky." You know, that's a really sad song. Yeah, there's but, some really heavy songs on there. But you know, going back to it, this album's 20 years old. It feels like it came out yesterday, but it just feels like it's something I wanted to talk about. Yeah, yeah. you know, one of his newer albums that's 20 years old. <laughs> right. No, and it's, it's hard good, to believe it's 20 years old. Yeah. It's a good point too because it 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 is when the band gets back together yeah. and and all that kind of stuff. And we were talking about the importance of the band. Um, yeah, you know, like I said at the beginning, it's not to say he's still not making relevant music. He just came out with another album a couple months ago, and it's it's fantastic. I love it. All right, before we wrap up on Springsteen, I want to talk about also the versatility of his music and tie that into the concert stuff. So he has constantly reinvented his songs over the years, and I was I was thinking about this as I was driving down here, and a great example of that is the song Atlantic City from Nebraska. So I'm going to play a little clip of that, and I want to play two other clips 
of the same song from two other live shows that he put out with. You can hear how it's completely different. So here's the studio version from Nebraska. Well, they blew up a chicken man in Philly last night. Now they blew up his house, too. Down on the boardwalk, they're getting ready for a fight. Gonna see what them racket boys can do. All right. So then here is the version he did from Alive in Dublin in 2017. And this is when he's with the Sessions Band. So he was like a side thing. He was with kind of like there's like some banjos and some other kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Here's another version of this song. Completely different. I remember how when did that album come out? Two thousand seven. Yeah, you remember that album. You don't remember that album? I remember it, but I don't remember listening to that track. I remember listening to that over and over and over and over again. I remember really liking that album a lot. Yeah. So, so then here's a clip from the live in Madison Square Garden. Come on and meet me. Come on. Three versions, same song, totally different. One's got like a bluegrass, uh, there's a lot of horns in it. The original, just stripped down acoustic guitar. And then that version, it has like a gospel feel to it. And he just, yeah. he's able to do that with his song, just move them around the board and make them do different things. I wonder if he's like, oh, how am I feeling tonight? Like, uh, let's play it like totally. this. Let's yeah. play it like in oh, this yeah. key. Let's play it in this key oh, rather yeah. than yeah. that key. Or you heard it with the, the, the example of Born in the USA we played. It's like sure. it two different meanings. Yeah. yeah. Really cool. So Bruce, you know, before we end this, didn't you, didn't you meet Mr. Springsteen at one time? Yeah. So uh, my wife and kids and I, we went up and we saw him uh, do a book signing in uh, Barnes and Noble in Manhattan. And you shake his hand, you talk to him for a couple seconds, take a picture, and he said something like, um, "Oh, young fans." And my kids, he was like, "Oh, young fans." And I was like, "Yeah, we took him out of school today." He's like, "That's good parenting." <laughs> and I was like. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> um, and my, my daughter started crying after she met him. And I was like, oh, well, you started crying before I could start crying. <laughs> it was just it was just a really cool moment. You know, I said, I, I got the picture framed Dude, in my house. It you was, couldn't leave one of those kids at home and take me with you. <laughs> <laughs> For real. It was a real it was a real short, uh, you know, uh, experience in my life. But it was still like a moment I got to meet somebody awesome. that, I, that I idolized. But so it's much. a short part of your life that you'll never, ever, ever forget. It's very... And that it's your favorite a, and, artist, and that he's you're with forgotten. your wife and your children. Wasn't it your Christmas card? Like I just think that's that's like a very very important thing that happened. I would. I'm very happy it. if it I met Springsteen. Yet. I'd be talking about it all the time. <laughs> it's a, it's a moment that I will never forget, and he has already forgotten. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, before we wrap it all up, so yeah. back in the Born in USA tour, my dad told me and Ryan a story about you know he played like the vet or something and. Like you got a phone call from like the Inquirer, the Daily News, like, oh, we heard like Bruce Springsteen was in there drinking last night after the show. 
when my dad was just like, I'm, I'm not saying it didn't happen. Absolutely. You know, yeah, so, I remember that. Yeah. So that is Bruce Springsteen, man. He uh, is the boss. He is the boss. This was enjoyable. I, I love talking about these tunes. You want to, uh, let's do a little bit of listener feedback and let's get into the electric chair. Yeah. So. Listener feedback, man. We got some comments on our punk rock episode that we did two weeks ago. So this is from Facebook. Frederick Tigerman complimented us on the playlist we published with Mohawks and Safety Pins. And uh, I said something back to him like I did. we didn't even get to talk about bands like the Dropkick Murphys and the Misfits. And he had this to say. He said, well, you can't cover them all. And as much as I love the Misfits, other than being completely DIY, they really didn't break any ground that wasn't covered by the ones that you did talk about. So I said that was cool. As I guess after we did this episode, I was like, oh man, we didn't talk about the misfits. So yeah. No, one of my friends was like, dude, you didn't talk about Fugazi. And she was like, I'm like, that's when you know you got a good show when people are listening to you. Yeah. And they're like, you didn't talk about this. You didn't talk about that. One thing that I, I thought about today that we didn't talk about Jim Carroll at all. You know, uh, people who died. You know, the song People Who Died, Jim Carroll. No, we didn't talk about that one either. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. And then we got an, uh, uh, somebody on Twitter. It just said, I want to say that your show artwork is pretty cool. Where'd you guys come up with a name for the show? And I was like, and that is perfect to bring up why we, where we got the name of that show. So the actual name, The Prisoners of Rock and Roll, that's actually from a Springsteen uh, show. So that's like a bit that he does in the show at near the end when uh, he starts taunting the crowd. Like, are you done yet? I'm, I'm just getting started. I've been playing for three and a half hours. And he normally just says, I'm just a prisoner of rock and roll. So I went on YouTube and I found a, a little clip of it. We can play that for you. I'm just a prisoner! So that's where that came from. Even the little thing we did at the beginning of the intro, the hard stop and pants drop, and that that's also he ends every show saying that, like, this is what I did. You've seen the legendary E yeah. Street band. So we should end the show with that. Have like the our music and then I'm a prisoner of rock and roll. We we probably should add that in. That's not a I bad think that's idea. A good idea. So all right, cool. All right, all right. All right. So it is time for the electric chair. So the electric chair is where we sentence a song to death for all of its crimes against musical humanity. Doug, it is your turn. What do you got? All right. 25 years ago, I heard the song for the first time, and I hated it the second I heard it. So it is my pleasure. I'm doing the world a big favor, and we're going to send the Spin Doctors, the whole band, their whole album, their whole existence to the electric chair. But since I only get one song, we're going to send two princesses to the electric chair. This is hands down horrible. And it still gets played to this day. Dude, I was in the supermarket the other day and I wanted I was in line in the back of like all these people and they had the song playing. I felt like I was in hell. Like it's amazing they still play it. Oh god. Alright. Alright. Kill it. Kill it. We sentence you to death. Yeah! Good riddance. Good riddance. That was a good pick. All right, so that's it for episode 10. We have a special thank you to music man Mike Cianci for helping us put together the playlist for each episode. 
We also want to give a special shout out to our chief evangelist, Rob Owens, <laughs> and international super fan, Omar Srinivasan. Omar! And of course, we have a special thank you to all of you who have been listening, talking to us on social media, and checking out our playlist. If you're new to the show and you want more, you can check us out at PrisonersToRockAndRoll.com or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. You can also check us out on the Pantheon Podcast Network, which publishes about 60 other great shows on music. We publish playlists to go with each episode, and they're on Apple Music and Spotify. We'll share them in the show notes and on our social media accounts. You can check us out and chat with us on Facebook and Twitter. We love hearing you from your feedback and talking to everybody. And if social media ain't your bag, you can always email us at prisonersofrockandroll at gmail.com. So that is episode 10. We'll be back in two weeks with episode 11. This was a lot of fun, gentlemen. This is great. This was absolutely It was awesome. We'll see you in two weeks. Peace. Keep on rocking. Peace out.